Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is driven by one goal, housing affordability for all. They're about solving housing affordability together. CMHC offers supply-oriented programs, funding programs, market intelligence, research, data, and a team dedicated to push the boundaries of housing innovation. Visit cmhc.ca to learn more about how you can play a role in their ambitious goal that by 2030, everyone in Canada has a home that they can afford and meets their needs. CMHC helps make housing affordable in many ways. Learn more about Canada's national housing strategy, funding, research, and so much more at cmhc.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, we have an amazing guest this week. But before we get to that guest, uh, let me just tell you a few of the things that are happening at Blue Door and, of course, our awesome partner, the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Uh, Blue Door, I'm proud to say, for the last year, has been operating a program called Inclusion. So I-N-N, like an in you stay at, Inclusion. And it is for 2S LGBTQ plus youth in York Region. It is the only one of its kind uh, north of Toronto and a result of listening to the data. We've heard on this podcast before, data matters, and it does. And it showed us that uh, youth from the community were not feeling safe. The current programs and thanks to an awesome uh, to two different foundations, the Odette Family Foundation and the North Pine Foundation. We made this a reality. We're going to be able to grow it throughout York Region. Um, we work with some amazing partners who support that program and wrap supports around it. So it's really, really cool. So check that out at Blue Door, our inclusion program. And at CA. EH right now, they have so much going on. Of course, they're always doing their Built for Zero work. Check that out on their website at caeh.ca. Uh, right now, they are still working on their vote housing campaign. Uh, so check out that work and how you can get involved and share that information as well. Um, but again, many things. You need training assistance. Go to their website. Check it out. They will be there for you. But let's get to today's guest. And when I say this gentleman is a fox, I am not being funny. That is actually his name. We have John Francis Fox with us today, who is a partner at Robbins Appleby. John is a former development executive and brings a unique blend of legal and business thinking to his clients. He specializes in real estate development, social and affordable housing and construction. He possesses an extensive frontline experience gained in his previous positions. He was general counsel, development and acting vice president development for Toronto Community Housing, where he was responsible for the organization's redevelopment mandate, including Regent Park. And if you, if, I mean, if you have not been under a rock, you, you've heard about Regent Park and the incredible work 
the transformation that happened there. So really, really cool. Uh, in that capacity, that wasn't in his bio, by the way. That was just my commentary. Uh, in, the, in that capacity, he uh, dealt with the private sector partners in the city of Toronto and joint ventures, construction contracts, and funding agreements. So it was a really, really cool partnership, uh, multi-level, which is the kind of innovation you need folks to make big things happen. Uh, he was also chief executive officer of the Badawa Development Corporation, which is redeveloping the former uh, Beta Shoe factory in uh, Betawa, Ontario. Am I saying that right? I don't know. John's practice always involves development of real estate from acquisition, investment vehicles, financing, and construction. He acts for private developers, public sector actors, not-for-profits, and co-ops. He has unique knowledge and experience in the development of social and affordable housing, having been active in the housing sector for the past 15 years. Examples of his work since returning to practice include representing the City of Toronto on the incorporation of 80 units of affordable housing into a high-end condo building on the waterfront, working with the Region of Peel on the development of a, its housing plan, and working on behalf of private developers participating in the delivery of affordable housing, including the Weston Arscape Project. Recently, John represented Habitat for Humanity in negotiating a contribution agreement from a private developer intended to seed a land trust, which will develop housing into in the local ward across Toronto. And that's uh, a community land trust that we've actually had uh, the representatives on to talk with that community land trust. We had Josh and Melissa on. Um, and so really exciting that John was a part of that. And that was really uh, groundbreaking. In the summer of 2019, John was part of a Rooftops Canada delegation to Durban, South Africa, where he and the Rooftops team provided advice to government officials on the regeneration of housing stock in South Africa. He is so active in his community. He is a former chair of the Laidlaw Foundation and the Daily Bread Food Bank and is now a retired hockey coach and a hockey player. I played with John. Uh, I don't even know why I can use the word play. I sat beside John and stumbled across the ice while he was playing uh, in one of the Hockey Helps the Homeless tournaments in, in Mississauga where I first kind of got to know him. Um, and a great guy. Gives back to the cause. And no one enjoys, I think, uh, and, and loves the work in this sector like John. So he was on our predecessor show out of the blue. John, it is so great to have you back. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. That is a long intro though, Michael. We're going to have to find a shorter one. <laughs> and it is. Hey, you've done a lot of stuff. That's and true. I, I, I true. you know, I look through it and I'm like, this is all relevant. And I think people understand. Um, so I, I thought I can't leave any of this out. Uh, so, so we have a standing question. We ask all of our guests because it means a little something different to everyone. Um, at any time and that is what does home mean to you well for for me home is about safety and security and a place to recharge before sort of going back out and doing what you do and when when we've been involved in the creation of housing in my mind that's always what we're creating for families who are who are moving into the units which we're we're helping to create helping nonprofit and co-op developers and and private developers to create Absolutely. Well said. Um, it's so funny when we ask that, uh, for, for the most part, people never really talk about the, the structure of a home. They never talk about the, they talk about actually just how it makes them feel. And, and you are not an exception to that rule. Well, <laughs> and by the way, it's, it's, it's Badawa is how you pronounce that. What did I say? Badawa? Trenton? Yes. Badawa? Jeez. I, yeah. I think, again, that's shameful, shameful. Um, John, lots going on in the world yep. right now. Uh, lots of crazy stuff happening as we speak today. 
You know, uh, there's the uh, unrest, of course, uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, we see rising prices across the country affecting all Canadians, our most vulnerable, even more. Uh, but most recently, as we look uh, to battle this housing crisis, we've had a report back from the Housing Affordable Affordability Task Force. And uh, I know you've been paying close attention. You've taken a look at what that report has uh, put out. But for, for our listeners, many from outside Ontario, can you give the broad strokes of for sure. you know, how this came about and what the purpose was? For sure. So it, it's, no, it's, it's no secret, uh, and everybody knows that there is a housing crisis in uh, we want to Ontario, but you can extend that to any number of places in the world. And uh, as we have additional Im immigration coming into Canada and pricing for housing has gone up, pressure on the provincial government, which is responsible for this, uh, has mounted. And one of their responses, in addition to things they've done already in their term, has, was to create an affordability task force. And they drew across the spectrum. So there are representatives of the development community and the real estate community, to be sure. But there were also nonprofit representatives in, in, in the form of Ian Underwood of Habitat uh, and Justin Marchand of the Ontario uh, Aboriginal Housing Society, as well as others uh, on that task force. And so they came together to come up with some recommendations for the province on how they could attempt to address housing affordability. The the uh, the report is directly aimed, or I should say primarily aimed, at market housing prices, at reducing market housing prices. And its primary remedy for that is to increase supply. And they do that by recommending to the government a series of measures, which are pretty audacious, audacious ambitious in, in scope. Things like uh, eliminating appeals to the Ontario Land Tribunal from, for for certain kinds of developments, ensuring that height is not an issue around transit, um, allowing people to change uh, single family homes into more units, things like that, which would be come as of right and allow for, for additional housing to be created that way. And they're really, they're really calling on doubling of housing production. And you can see the, the headline piece is, is to create one and a half million homes in 10 years, which is a lot of homes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the criticisms, too, and we'll talk more about that, too, is just people are like, this is all about supply. And, you know, supply is not the only answer is what I've heard pushing back. Hey, we can't end the. Now, in talking about both Ian and Justin have been on uh, the podcast, I think Justin a couple of times is, is different panels. Great people. Uh, and talking with Ian just briefly on this, uh, she had said that the title was a little misleading, that it should not. I don't think it was meant to be the Housing Affordability Task Force. It was the Housing Supply. Mm task force that it was supposed which would make more sense she says so throwing that in there really kind of threw some people for a loop uh with that, that criticism um you know so so you mentioned um the 1.5 million homes in 10 years very ambitious great but beyond that that kind of headline uh, what should we be excited about coming out of this report? well you know there, there are good things in the report for the development community at large. And it tends, when people say the development community, they have a tendency to think that that's just private sector developers. Uh, but anything that is good for them in terms of speed of development is good for any nonprofit or co-op who's engaged in development. So if, if we are increasing the speed of approvals, if we are reducing the opportunity to appeal, those are all positive things uh, for uh, developers uh, who are nonprofits or for-profit uh, developers. 
so all of those that that and that and the urgency that comes with this report is also you know i i, I like to say new but it's 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 really that it's the consensus that something has to be done urgently is is what's new for for people who are actively involved in the housing sector it's not new to think that there's urgency in finding people housing you deal with people who need housing all the time and whether you're looking at a family by family basis or you're looking at it at large for lower income families it's urgent all the time by definition so that that drive has now extended out and you make an interesting point when you talk about uh, what what Ian had to say because there is in the in the report a distinction between housing affordability and affordable housing in the sense that housing affordability when what they're really talking about is lowering a market price of a market home by having enough supply to allow that to happen whereas when you and I talk about affordable housing we're talking about housing is affordable to people who aren't buying at the market so anybody who can't buy at the market yeah. today will probably not be as directly impacted by this in the, in the same way that you you might like that we can talk about how that plays out and there will be differences and the like and, and we'll get into that in a sec but it's important to, to understand that this is primarily aimed at reducing pricing at the at the market point not not increasing affordable housing even though they do get into that a little bit Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. That's a, a great point. And it's so good to know uh, when we talk about, you know, how, how it really fits. I think what, what for our listeners too, uh, people have to understand too, John, that when it, it takes all levels of government too, right, working together to make this kind of thing happen. So the federal government can announce, we have all this money we're giving to the provinces, then the province has to work to how they're going to do it. Uh, and then the municipalities, of course, sometimes slow that down because they're in charge of, you know, zoning bylaws, that kind of thing. And the question to this with Ontario pushing this way, there's still and I think it, it's is this some of what you were just talking about around zoning that we could get. So that will speed up the process. Is this going to help bypass some of the things in municipalities that are slowing us down? Yes, I mean, in, in in short, there are circumstances where an application that a that a developer, private or well, actually nonprofits or private too, but for profit or nonprofit, bring forward. If this were translated to legislation, please remember this is a report. This is not legislation. So, this now is on the minister's desk. The minister has to decide which pieces of it he wants to bring forward. His party has to support that, and the conservative government has to bring it forward. So not legislation yet, but if this were to happen, then there are certain kinds of development where you would apply and as of right, you would be entitled to, to certain height, uh, 12 stories and wood frame buildings and things like that, and, and which, which are not, which are appealable now and uh, which can encounter resistance from, uh, from neighbors and, and so on. So if you're in the development business, whether you're for profit or not, you, this, this, that can be positive for you and it can make it easier to create housing. Yeah, and I know even just working with developers over the years, they'll say, "Hey, we we, we love building in this area, this municipality, mm -hmm. not so much in this one." 
uh, because the different zone, the planning department or whatever it might be. So I think this would be, uh, they're hoping uh, many of these pieces will um, move forward. Now we've talked about some of the things to be excited about. And now I'm wanting to know on your mind, what's, what's missing in this report? What were you disappointed about or what, what, you know, what do you see people uh, not happy about? So there, there's, uh, let me answer that question this way. There's, there's a number of really critical tensions in the report, which we can get in and, 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 and think through. So here's one we just started talking about. We talk about NIMBYism uh, and the report's answer to that as allowing more as of right development. But when we do that, we also chew away at the ability of neighbors to have a say in what's happening in their neighborhoods. And so there is a tension there. And as you know, in, in many parts of Ontario, quick and urban Ontario, part of how you get elected is by protecting the, the, the status quo in a neighborhood or how it, how it exists. And it's not surprising, people like where they live. That's where they chose to live there. So that's not a bad thing in and of itself. And so it creates a tension in the report, which has to be re resolved. And then one of the things the minister gets to choose, and I think he has a great job right now, quite frankly, is how far down that path he's willing to go. Another tension in the report is supply. So, you know, even if we're just working on the, um, even if we're just working on the margins and, and the actual market price, how much can supply really do? So if we're doing this because we're expecting additional immigration and so on, if you're going to use supply to lower price, you can't just match demand. You're going to have to outpace demand. That's a tall order. And even some of the things that they talk about in there, which leads to the third tension, I think, is the conversion of some single family homes into multiple unit uh, rental. So one of the interesting tensions there is that the, the problem is cast in terms of ownership. It's difficult to buy a home. The solution is often cast in terms of rental. So if you take a, a single family home and convert it into four rentable units, what you're saying is, yes, you may not be able to afford a home to buy a home today, but you may be able to afford to rent the second and third floors of a home sometime in the future when this is done. Well, that's that's actually a pretty material shift, and there, there's a, a real tension, there. and there's and there's good and bad, right? So on the one hand, you might be saying some of those homes are not going to be priced out of range for more people. On the other hand, more people have the choice to live in that neighborhood. So you can choose. The, the hard things aren't when there's a tension between a good thing and a bad thing. The hard things are when there's tensions between two good things, and you can you have to decide where you're going to come down. And that's why I think the minister has a, a great gig um, this year. And the, the, the last one is that I think it's will really trigger a lot of people in the in the housing sector is this distinction which feels so artificial when you first when I first say it between housing affordability and affordable housing so one of the pressures on supply in the, in the report is side programming things like um, uh, efforts to allow more uh, rental by putting um, money into people's hands to the form of rent subs, that's a demand side stimulus to housing. So if you say yeah. we don't want to do that because we don't want to price up housing by having more money, then that kind of leaves a lot of people out. So the starting point of this is supply. The starting point for the national housing strategy, by contrast, is a human right to housing and that the government's intervention should be to basically attack housing across the spectrum, basically from the market down, right? So from the market level to lower income levels, that's the where you're that's where you're after. And you can sort of see that in the federal government's approach, which tries to hit several different categories within there. 
So here we, we don't we don't they don't answer those questions. So for, I talked about taking a single family home and turning it into four rental units. There's no talk about whether those rental units would attract rent control, uh, whether or not rent ups would be a part of that equation. And and I don't really I don't blame the, the task force for doing that. And I'm glad they went into talking about NIMBYism and so on. But ultimately, when you're increasing supply, if you're doing it at more than just the, if you're going to go further than just the, the market level, you're going to have to talk about what other kinds of controls you will place on the housing market that you're creating. So that part is really left to the next stage and uh, is not in this report. So if you're reading it looking for that, then I think you would be disappointed in that, in, in, in the report in that regard. But other, I do think, you know, just to be clear, I, I think the report is actually a very positive contribution because it stimulates this kind of discussion and it doesn't shy away from these harder questions. And, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it shows the, the provincial government is paying attention. They want to do something. They've, they've brought some people together to do that. Now, there was, I think, some criticism about not having a lived expert or lived expertise, that they should always be part of these uh, committees. Uh, so, so when we look at, if we had two categories um, out of this report, kind of winners who are going to be really elated and people, not losers, but people who will be really disappointed uh, coming out of this because they had high hopes. Uh, who would you put in that? Who, who are the real winners and who are the, the groups you think uh, are not all that excited? Well, I, well it's, I, I'm not going to call them winners and losers, Mike, because I, I actually don't think you know and nobody knows yet. First of all, we don't know whether it's going to turn into legislation. <laughs> but secondly, even if it all were legislation, how an economic stimulus like this plays out, we don't know. So um, if it were to play out the way the task force would like, then you could say a broad group of people who are just can't quite afford to buy or can't quite afford to rent where they want would win. What you do know is that if you're if, if this were to be applied and you're you're in the development business again, whether you're for profit or nonprofit, you will like this. You will like some of the some of the um, taking away of appeals. You'll like some of the limit some of the removal of limitations on height. If you're a property owner and you own a home that could be converted to four units, then probably you're going to like it because you have the capacity to make more money off your home, probably. You also might look at it differently and say, this actually gives me more agency in creating affordability for intergenerational living within a home that I own now than I would be permitted to do otherwise. So you could not maybe before divide up the same way and have have mom and grandparents living in one spot and a, and, and a home in the back uh, yard uh, for another part of your family. So there is, as I say, there is good and bad with, with, with each thing. So we don't really know who will be a winner and a loser. To go back to my last question, though, like, it's not a program that is aimed at poverty relief. And so if you are yeah. looking for that, it's fairly scant. Now, the, the task force cannot avoid that, and I'm, I'm glad they don't. And they talk about the importance of ownership. And they also recognize that barriers uh, to to home uh, that are experienced by marginalized communities and by the indigenous community are more severe than others. And, and they end up promoting an ownership program, which is, you know, uh, they end up promoting the government supporting ownership programs aimed at those, aimed at those communities. And I, I think that they probably had, for example, the black North initiative in mind when they were thinking about that, which is a, a program aimed at a particular community in order to promote home ownership, which is a positive thing. 
Yeah, I think, you know, when in talking to developers in the past, too, they've said, look, I mean, if we, the longer we have to wait, the longer we're slowed down, the, the more it costs everyone. Mm-hmm. If we, we incur costs, obviously, those are passed on to uh, to people purchasing homes, uh, for sure. And you're, you're right. And, and just so people understand, as, as John said, this has to be passed. These are suggestions. This is a report forward with suggestions in it. It still has to be passed. Now, that being said, so th- this task force was put together by our Ontario Conservative party uh, and some of the recommendations coming out of this um, may not align totally with their strategy. They didn't say it. Hey, put together a report and it has to fit with who we are as conservatives necessarily. Now for this to move forward, it would be past the election in June, right? We're, we're too close to it right now. Uh, if the conservatives were to, to be reelected, how realistic is it that most of these recommendations would, would move forward? I think quite a few of them could move forward, and some of them are probably more likely under a conservative government, uh, just because they're they're um, worry about upsetting downtown Toronto is probably lesser than the other parties, and so there, I think there is a political reality there which uh, favors some of this. The, the the government also this government also has a bent for ownership. I'm not suggesting that's a, a bad thing. Uh, and so some of the programming that that is referenced in here relates to the use of ownership as a method of savings and using second mortgage methods in order to achieve that. So that that's not unknown. That's that's options and Trillium Housing and, and a number of others who are doing that, that and Black North who are doing that kind of, of thing. And that that is sort of philosophically aligned more so than, than you would see rent control, for instance, aligned. And, and that those sort of things which you might might assign more naturally to more left-leaning parties, they don't really show up in this report. As I say, it's, it's really left mm-hmm. to the next level to determine whether or not the additional supply would attract more, whether there, there should be a change in, in, in the current uh, legislation in that particular regard. So I think if the conservative, there is a good chance that a lot of this would end up finding its way into legislation. I, I don't think it's exclusively so, though. I mean, it's not as though every member of this committee I'm looking, I'm reading in to a certain extent as a card-carrying conservative. So I think there would be some, and there certainly is a broad political um, uh, acceptance that doing more to create more housing and to be fair in its allocation is is um, is important. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it was a, it was a good committee of people. Um, now, like many reports, when we do research or we, we put together groups, they come back with these reports. You know, of course, this was not meant to sit on a shelf. Thanks. That's great. It's going to move forward. So so what happens now? What do we, what do, we do with this? It's just we, we kind of wait for it to go through or, or you know, more conversations like we're having now. Um, well, I think it is a very live conversation. I mean, I can tell you that in, in my in my law office, uh, we this is the topic of regular disagreement and debate about you know whether or not this is just patently good or whether there's a kind of ups and downs about about this. And you, you know from this presentation that I think there's there's some really good stuff and 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 some missing elements as a housing policy. But I, I would be very surprised that the government does not act on this quite quickly and does not have a sense of what it wants to propose to the electorate in the election. And that we would not see, whether we would see legislation or not, I guess that would surprise me. But that, that we would see the government come out with proposed government policy on this would not surprise me uh, at all. And and that part of the election um, criteria is as 
the premier has very sound political instincts and he knows that this is on people's minds and he will want to know what he's going to say in the election. And I think that he's going to find some inspiration in this and we'll see him talking about this uh, prior to the election. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure we're going to see the Minister Clark do the same thing. Yeah, I think you can. Uh, I think you can count on that. It is on, as we saw in the federal election, housing is on people's minds, right? When, oh, yeah. uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, CAH, our partner in this podcast, uh, and some partners really push a vote housing campaign, and it was, I think, it was about it was out of the top ten, and they pushed and pushed at just what was happening in uh, in the environment at the time. It, I think it was in the top five by the end of that, that federal election. I don't think it will be different in Ontario with prices going up. Um, you know, uh, people will sacrifice sometimes food so they can pay for housing. Uh, you can't, there is no real housing bank to do the opposite of that, right? So it's, uh, uh, you know, everyone's feeling the squeeze. Uh, and, right and Michael, that, that equation you just talked about is, is being felt increasingly higher and higher up the income ladder, right? So when you start thinking about the definitions of affordable housing and who who is now, um, uh, who, who, who is now able to make applications, it's you know it's it's teachers and nurses and so that squeeze is is very much very prevalent in a much larger group of people than it was say 20 years ago and so that drives the politics to a great extent here absolutely i, I saw in the, the globe and mail i think it was a couple of weeks ago they were talking about usually the threshold of what you should spend of your household income is 30 percent i think in the gta unfortunately a lot of people are spending 50 up to 80 percent of their household income on housing costs uh, and what they said at the Global Mail, for a one-bedroom apartment, if you use that 30% threshold, uh, you would need a salary of $90,000 a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I think for so many people just, you know, entering the workforce or working hard, and that's not, I mean, that's your base salary, one-bedroom apartment, household. What if we need two bedrooms? What if we need three, et cetera, right? So there is a, a big gap there. I mean, there's a lot of positive things in this report. Uh, to move forward on and of course there's other pieces we have to tackle around income security uh truly affordable housing that kind of thing you're doing good work around that with uh, work helping set up setting up uh, community land trust we're doing this a uh, similar piece of course in, in york region building off that which is exciting uh with the support of uh our one of our may our local mayors uh so if someone wants to connect with you john um just aside from this report if they want to connect with you um because they're interested in in development or, or doing some work around land trusts um, and they're interested in your work at, at Robbins Apple, where, where can they go? Where can they find you? Well, they can find me either by Googling John Fox lawyer and I actually show up at that point in time, or you can email me at jfox at robapp.com or you can call me at 416-360-3349. And I'm pleased to report that for the first time I had, I asked a client where they had heard my name and they said, your predecessor podcast out of the blue, and so I am um, very gratified by that, and I'm and and I'm really glad to know that people are listening, as you well know, to this this podcast because there's a lot of great information that comes from all your guests on this, which I I love listening to. And we're we're very fortunate. You are not the exception to that rule to have some brilliant people on here who uh, share some great insights. I mean, the whole purpose of this podcast really is to create that awareness and education. Uh, and to share that knowledge. And thank you for dropping a lot of knowledge today on that report. You made it, uh, I, I found anyways, 
I don't, if looking at that report, people might be a little overwhelmed, uh, but you're able to kind of simplify it and break it down for us, which is really appreciated. And maybe for some people to get even uh, more excited uh, about what's happening uh, in the future and looking towards this election, you know, what they might do. Uh, so thank you so much, as always, for all you're doing in the community, for what you're doing uh, in this sector, for your passion. Thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Uh, John Fox, he is not only a, a very talented defenseman, uh, and thankfully, you know, because I was not, <laughs> I, I was not holding up my end, but a very talented lawyer and um, great to have uh, in this field. And often someone we check in with to say, hey, we're thinking this or X, can you? And, and he's always so generous with his time uh, and his, his talent. Uh, we're fortunate on the way home to have so many of these experts. Listen, if, if you have questions about anything in the housing homeless sector, go through uh, all the episodes. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll find something of interest there, someone that can help, someone you could connect to who is an expert in this area, not just from across Canada, uh, but from around the world. We've had uh, guests on from Finland, the Netherlands, uh, Australia, uh, and it's great. The information sharing that happens uh, is just amazing. You don't have to start from scratch. We can learn from each other. And we do that every week uh, on this podcast. And we will see you next time on The Way Home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.